Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Autoline After Hours with John McElroy and Gary Vassalash. Episode 396 for October 20th of 2017. Magna's Supermarket of Automotive Technology. Watch Autoline After Hours live at Autoline.tv every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 12 p.m. Pacific. You can subscribe to this podcast for free by searching for Autoline in iTunes, Stitcher, or YouTube. Autoline After Hours is brought to you by Bridgestone Tires, your journey, our passion, Lear, a global leader in automotive seating and electrical systems. And by Hyundai. Better drives us. All right. We get to do another Autoline After Hours. Gary, good to see you. Welcome back, John. It's I, been a while. Jeez, I've missed the last three shows. I can't believe it. I, I, I've got a Jones for doing this show. I'm telling you, I enjoy it that much. And this will be a good show to, to be back on. It, it will be. And one of the reasons is we got David Welch here from Bloomberg. Hey, that makes it a great show. <laughs> it does. But our special guest is not David. It's Swami Kotagiri, and he is the chief technology officer at Magna, one of the largest automotive suppliers in the world. And Swami, great to have you on the show. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. What is it that you guys don't do? Just yeah. give, give the audience a sense of Magna's <laughs> magnitude, because, I mean, you guys are into everything. I always like to go about what we don't do rather than yeah. read out the whole list. Uh, we don't do corners, which is basically the tires and the wheels and the, the corner piece of it. We don't do glass. We do some, but not significantly. And we don't do engines, right? Pretty much everything else in a car, in some way, shape, or form, we touch. In addition to actually assembling cars. Absolutely. Magna's the only supplier in the world that assembles cars. And you're doing what? Uh, Mercedes, BMW, and soon Jaguar, too. That's right. But you've done plenty of stuff in the past. Mini. I can't even keep track of all the different vehicles. The Aston Martin, Mini, uh, many Chrysler versions in Europe that were made, and, and the list goes on. And you've got the assembly plant in Graz, Graz Austria. Austria. Yeah. yeah. And you guys just announced you're going to have to open a second paint shop because uh, your output is so great. Yeah, just adding capacity in terms of uh, the programs that John was talking about in terms of Jaguar and BMW and so on. So in addition to that, John, just for the viewers, uh, not just contact manufacturer, but have the ability to engineer and put a full vehicle together, right, working with our OEM partners. So Magna... If you wanted to, you guys could get into the car business. I think that answer has been very clear. That's not the intent. <laughs> you don't uh, want to compete against your customers. Our own customers. It was at one point. Uh, That's history in the past. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we want to clarify the message uh, yeah. from our company that was very clear. Don has said that in many places, that we want to be the system, subsystem, and the vehicle uh, support uh, to our OEM customers rather than play a role there. Now you, now, you mentioned that you guys don't do internal combustion engines, but you guys do do electrified powertrains. Talk about that. Absolutely. You made an announcement this week about that as well. Absolutely. Thanks, Gary, for bringing it up. Uh, I, I like to say that we bring power to the wheels, right? Uh, so whether it be the battery or the ice engine is the power source. But if you take it from there, it's the transmission, the drive line, basically getting power to the wheel, and some ancillaries, whether it's... Uh, uh, pumps or, you know, power takeoff units and a few other things. The the overall intent is we can address any of the market, which is IC engines, whether it's hybrids or the Ford Focus BV, which we did in the past, where we supplied the machine, the inverter, and played a significant role in the integration and the overall engineering working with Ford. And uh, Volvo V60 is another example of a electrified rear augmented axle drive, uh, which actually got the Quality Excellence Award this year for the system, uh, that's a good play or, or capability demonstrator for the hybrids, and I don't need to talk about the regular IC engines. 
Yeah, it, it almost looks to me going forward that not a whole lot of money is going to be invested in the IC engine. Uh, let me restate that. There will be continued improvements, yep. but I don't see any new all clean sheet engines being developed going forward. Uh, I think, John, there is going to be a significant uh, development, I would say, in the downsizing and downspeeding of the existing engines. Uh, being supercharged as well as turbo, you know, uh, that, that's going to be the focus. Mm -hmm. Why downspeeding? Sorry? Why downspeeding of the engine? It's it just the efficiency <clears throat> in terms of getting, you know, if you really talk about getting your turbo and supercharging where you need to be, and if you get the advanced combustion processes like the Miller cycle, and if you find a way to get the thermal efficiency where you need to, then you're looking at possible downspeeding too, right? So think about it. If you can run on gear two with the same torque that you would at gear three. Hmm. Right. Okay. So there, there's some ways to look at the overall transmission shift strategy, thermal efficiency, and the whole engine mapping and the thermal efficiency part of it. So I think that that's going to be an important part. That would be interesting because presumably if you downspeed the engine, yep. you get NVH benefits too because these days, as they downsize engines, they rev higher and the whole car gets kind of buzzy. And, and that's the key. Uh, you bought one point that is the NVH. The other aspect is the thermal efficiency, right? You need to have uh, a change in the thought process of how you manage heat. Uh, and the better you manage that, the better efficiency you get. So if you look a lot about the Miller cycle and the advanced combustion processes we are talking about, I think there is something still left in the IC engine. But would these fundamentally be changes to existing powertrains <clears throat> rather than, as John is suggesting, clean sheet approaches to entirely new um, It's existing engine heads. platforms. You're right. I don't think it has to be a clean sheet of paper, remelt, repour. Um, so it's building on what is already there, yeah. right? Uh, I think the 1.6 to 2 liter uh, with some advanced combustion processes as well as looking at what he just talked about, turbocharging and supercharging, I think can get quite a bit of efficiency still. Mm -hmm. Well, that's uh, good to hear. I see the logic of it because everyone sees electric drive or even fuel cells as really the not too distant future. But electric cars are still 1% of the market. And there's really, you know, other than the love affair with the Tesla brand name and, and, and the Elon Musk mystique, it really isn't obvious that all these EVs coming to market in the next few years are really, that there's really high demand for them. In other words, we're going to have gasoline engines, not just on the road, because you've got all the ancient cars that are always out there. You're going to have gasoline engines in nice new cars being sold on new car lots for a long time to come. So is it really wise to stop investing in all new engine platforms? Can you get enough out of what's already out there to, you know, for this, potentially long bridge between now and, and, and the day when the electric car is, is reigning over, over all the, the new car lot. Yeah, I think this, there is going to be a significant uh, change in the hybrid domain. I call it micro, mild, PHEV, all of them put together, uh, where you're really reducing the parasitic losses by providing power where needed, when needed. That is one aspect of it. Uh, and like we talked about, the efficiency continuing on the IC engine part of it. Uh, and if you think of electrification, we're really talking about uh, driven by CO2 emissions, air quality, NOx particulates, and so on, right? And each one has a different solution. If you're trying to address uh, air quality in a city, uh, maybe you don't need a 300-mile range, right? Uh, it's a different type of a vehicle. How you put the modules together could be a different thought process. Uh, if you're looking at a CO2, then it's a different topic. And if you're trying to address the fine dust particles and so on, yes, uh, the, the tailpipe emission is one aspect of it, but you still have the dust from tires and, uh, you know, brakes and so on and so forth. Then there is huge developments going on there too, but it's a pretty complex equation, and I think it's being simplified to say, we're addressing a lot of emissions and environment, and let's go all electric. Do, do you think, though, that there will be more development dollars spent on e-motors to develop more of them going forward than there would be for ICEs? 
Yeah, I think there is definitely going to be uh, a lot of uh, activity on the motor development, let's say, right? And if you talk, there is two, uh, two areas to be addressed. One is peak power for performance, the other is continuous power. So there's a whole debate on ASM versus PSM. Uh, to answer your question, yeah, for sure, there's going to be a lot of work on the, uh, the, the e-machine side of things, not just the motor, but how do you integrate this into different systems? So how does a seven or eight speed transmission look in 10 years from now, right? Is it a hybrid, you know, I use the example of dual clutch because we do it, uh, yeah, hybrid dual clutch transmission, right? With an e-machine integrated in it. Uh, so there is multiple systems where we are talking of uh, electrified systems coming in t together. So that, that's going to be, I think, the biggest area. Mm -hmm. Hey, we've got a couple of questions from guests already. Wright Knight wants to know, is Magna the same as Magna Steyr? I guess I'd say it the other way around. Magna Steyr is part of Magna. That's absolutely yeah. right. <laughs> but yeah, good question, Wright Knight. And then Mike in San Francisco wants to know, do companies like GM and Ford hire Magna to do design work that the car companies do not specialize in? I don't know whether we can call it whether they do not specialize in, uh, but definitely yes. Uh, the OEMs from all aspects uh, uh, engage Magna at different levels of engineering. In some cases, it is the complete system where they give you the specification and we design and build and you know go through the whole uh, cradle to grave. And in some cases, uh, like I told you, from a Magnus tire perspective, it's the full vehicle. Obviously, we work um, interactively with the OEM. They have the level one spec and the consumer attributes and what we what what's needed in the product. Uh, but a significant piece of the subsystem system and full vehicle engineering is done by Magna. And another part of the business is you're coming, and this is where you come in as chief technology officer. You're always cooking up new kinds of things and technologies that you then bring to the car companies. Isn't that right? Uh, absolutely. I think uh, as a good tier one supplier, our intent is to understand the future needs as we see it from the industry perspective. And we call, you know, some people call it a strategy meeting, some call it a roadmap. We have these discussions with pretty much all OEMs. We sit down and tell them this is what we think uh, from an outside perspective, we see your fleet, as an example, right? And we think your CO2 levels are here, and maybe talk about lightweighting and powertrain technologies and aerodynamics and so on. And the best combination seems to be this, right? And that's where, you know, our R&D is driven. That's how we start, you know, getting development projects together. Mm -hmm. where, where are you focusing most these days in terms of your R&D efforts? Uh, there is a lot of uh, focus on electrification and autonomy. Uh, I purposely say autonomy because different levels of autonomy. Uh, but there is always continued focus on, you know, other things like uh, light weighting, which are secondary effects, right? Uh, you, you have to continue to look at materials, manufacturing processes, and so on. Uh, but significant piece is electrification autonomy. The third aspect we are looking at um, in the recent times is what role can we play in the uh, ecosystem of the future mobility, right? Oh, interesting. Uh, take an example. If you are looking for a type of a uh, mobility medium, let's say, uh, and you need to have a powertrain platform or you need to have an electrical electronic architecture as a platform, within obvious bounds, but we can bring that to the table. Uh, and maybe a particular OEM wants to do a variant. Uh, you know, we are addressing that from a platform uh, strategy perspective rather than just components and subsystems, which is our business and we'll continue to do that. But that's, the, that's you know, a, a, a role that we continue to investigate. So this means Magna is proactively developing technologies that could be applicable to vehicle manufacturers that are looking for advancements? Absolutely. I think that, that's the example I brought about is 
if you're looking for, if an OEM is looking for a last mile, first mile medium of transportation, right? We should be able to bring that with our knowledge of the subsystems and how different systems act together or interface with each other and our ability to put the whole vehicle together. Look, we've got a lot more that we've got to talk about here, yep. but we've got to take a break, too, because we've got to give a shout-out to our sponsor, Lear, right now, that helps make this program possible. Lear Connexus offers a parental controls application with geofencing that sends notifications regarding driving behavior and location, including curfew alerts, acceleration alerts, and speed alerts. All delivered to a smartphone application that includes vehicle location, driver notifications, and a report card of driving history, including notifications when predefined geographic boundaries are crossed. For more information, visit Lear.com. Okay, we're back talking with Swami Kotagiri from Magna, the Chief Technology Officer, with David Welch sitting in along with Gary and I. Uh, Swami, would Magna consider being a mobility supplier in the future as all this mobility stuff develops? John, it's a emerging market right now, right? And we got to look into the crystal ball. But do we have the pieces of the puzzle to be able to address that market? We we believe we do, uh, and you, you know we have to continue to explore that further. Uh, but overall, in the ecosystem, you know, working with our OEM partners, I think we can bring a lot more to the table. So, so one week ago today, you guys made an announcement: BMW, Intel, Mobileye. And Magna, yeah, and you're you're working together on what? Uh, I think uh, the consortium, uh, as described by BMW, actually is looking at everything from door locks to data centers, as they put it, right? And the intent is to address the fundamental challenge of autonomous driving uh, going forward. How do you get cars to communicate with each other? Uh, how do you get cars to communi communicate with the infrastructure? And there is a whole value chain involved in this, right? And how do you set standards to take this proliferation into the market much faster? And the intent there is to create a platform that is flexible and ready by 2021. And with Magna, who has been in the industry for more than a decade, and we are the leaders in the vision-based data systems today, having the complete sensor suite, whether it be the uh, camera or the radar or the LIDAR or the ultrasonic, and the compute side of things, which is your ECU or the domain controller, we bring to the table the commercialization and the scale aspect of it. And we can do specific applications for any others that would want to use it. We work a lot with BMW on many other products, and this seemed to be a very natural fit. So there's interesting, you, you mentioned that you you have cameras, so you, you make lots of cameras. You have a camera plant in Michigan, yep. I think, and, uh, yep. which is extraordinary in and of itself. But so as a supplier, I mean, you have production-ready systems that can be deployed rather than, you know, theoretical things that are rolling around in a lab somewhere. Uh, absolutely, and I think the, 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 the one aspect there is like it's, uh, camera is just one aspect of the system we provide, mm -hmm. right? Uh, there is a lot more in terms of the software, the sensor fusion side of things, the image processing, and so on and so forth. Uh, but this is a continuous process, right? You, you, I mean, you have a one megapixel camera. We're talking of six, seven, eight megapixel cameras in the future. The processing is changing. So this is a fast-changing world. Uh, so what we bring in terms of credibility, like you said, is... I think we produced more than 25 million cameras uh, from that plant over the period of time. So, but we take that as a basis and continue to get to the next step, right? Uh, that's just not just the camera piece, right? Sure. You know, all the other sensor fusion. And I would like to always look at ADAS now as uh, the features are really the products, right? It's lane keep or lane assist or... A, B, and, you know, automated valet parking in the future. Uh, everything else are enablers. Uh, today it might be camera and radar. Tomorrow it might be something else. So we look at the whole domain. How, how far into the tiers of autonomy is Magna developing? 
if you have looked at it about a few weeks ago, we talked about what we call as the Max 4 platform. And the intent there is to have a technology platform to try um, all the challenges associated with level four, right? A uh, lot of level two are on the road today, right? Uh, you see a lot more production programs that are being discussed on level three. So we are participating on all of them. Swami, what do you think is going to be the shakeout uh, between make and buy? Because we see automakers like General Motors, Ford Motor Company seemingly doing everything in-house. Uh, we see suppliers like Waymo, even yeah. Delphi, developing turnkey systems. And then there's consortiums such as uh, the Intel, Mobileye, Delphi One, the BMW, the one that you guys have just joined. When it all shakes out, how do you think this is going to look? I think my perspective, John, it's going to be a lot more collaborative than what the automotive industry has been used to in the past, right? Uh, the value chain that we are used to is a little bit different than what you know seems to be going forward. Uh, it's the tier one suppliers uh, that that have been in the game. Uh, it's the OEMs, but you also start you know the semiconductor chip companies or processing guys. Uh, you see service providers, you know, 3G, 4G, 5G, uh, the cloud and the backend data processing side of things. I think it's going to be a lot more collaborative than everybody trying to own the entire value chain. You know, it's interesting, your title, Chief Technology Officer, okay? 20 years ago in this industry, there'd be no such thing, okay? And it would all be about, you know, cranking out production, just getting stuff done. When did Magna change to say, we've got to be a company that is on the leading edge of technologies that are or may be of interest to our automotive customers? When did they fire the chief mechanical officer? Yeah, that's, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd give a, a little more credit to the automotive industry. Yeah, uh, The chief technology officers have been there a long time. But I, I think what you're trying to say, Gary, is what's the change in the thought process and, you know, the, the job description of the function, right? And to your point, I don't know if it was as much the uh, uh, mechanical officer, but the, 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 the paradigm behind what you're saying is true, right? Even as Magna, our, our intent was to looking at product process and materials, right? Uh, what products can I bring? How should I change my process to make it cheaper, faster, better? What material should I be looking at going forward to make it either lighter, to get more strength or better features and so on? The fourth category that's been added right now is information and data, right? Uh, so all the aspects that we're talking are there. I think what's become more important uh, and people, uh, we believe Magna has an advantage is trying to look at the interface of all these systems, right? Uh, I'll give you one. We just talked about a lightweight door study that we just finished and was published. In the past, you would have looked at it only as a door, right? How do I stamp or, you know, how do I put the composite piece together? Now we are looking at what's the actuation system, right? Uh, you know, what type of uh, ECU should we put in? What other features can I put in? Can I integrate a radar so, you know, when you open the door, it can detect not to hit you know, the car next or a pole that is next to you. So if you have the overall understanding of the sensors, the door architecture, the mechanical piece of it, uh, you know, there is an evolution, right? You had a, a door latch and maybe it's a, a different actuator today. If you had a door handle, it might be going away and it's an e-latch going forward. So I think that is the big shift in the thought process is don't look at your product, look at the overall system, and what can you do from a system perspective to address that question? Uh, I think it's been evolutionary. Uh, I would say it's, I've been in this role for four years and it continues to change every month. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably a good thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, Wright Knight sent us another one. He says, I recall a Magna SUV concept from years ago. And he's right. You, you got a good memory, man. Oh, look at that. They got it up there. It was futuristic, and it made me think of an S10 Blazer of, of the future. 
What was the name of that thing? Torero. Torero. It's right. pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. And this was, that's got to be at least 25 years ago, right? Yeah, it was in the 20, early 25 years at old. Least, yes. At least. Really? Because it, it, it looks, looks like, like a Land Rover. I was going to say, it looks like the Evoque. Yeah, yeah. It was in the early to mid-90s, if I remember, mm -hmm. uh, and it still sits in one of our facilities. And uh, from what I heard, it was taken to a few OEMs, and it was said, why would you build something like that? And after about eight years came the SUV. Yeah. So I guess we were a little bit ahead of our time. Yeah, you were. Well, how do you, how do you develop technologies now that don't end up like that? Uh, there is a significant input in some of the things we are talking about, right? Uh, there's always a, a, a danger of being, you know, ahead of your times. Uh, you have to take some uh, stretch goals and targets. I always like to use the example. You have to jump long enough that you sprain your leg, but don't jump too far that you die, <laughs> right? So you, you have to stretch to find your limits. Uh, we, we try to understand the overall trends, um, you know, whether it's regulatory or legislative or, you know, like how much is sharing going to impact, you know, the future, uh, how are cities being planned and should we look at vehicles differently. Uh, we try to break it down into subsystems and develop them so there is a uh, adaptation, if not the whole thing, pieces of it, right? That's that's a mix and match. Mm -hmm. Do you need to develop battery systems for the kind of electric drive work you're doing, or do you rely on somebody else entire, you know, basically buy that stuff or just work with Samsung or, or whichever player you want to? Right now, we are looking at the market. We don't do cell development ourselves, right. uh, but we can. We look at a uh, battery management system overall for sure. Yes. So to answer your question, we are not looking at the chemistries or the development of the cells itself. We are looking at the market and the big players that are out there, and we are taking the uh, step after. Because, John, didn't GM outsource a lot of, if not the entire, battery system for the Bolt? It did, but very interestingly, the chemistry of the cell was developed by General Motors. Same with Ford. So they've got Panasonic and LG building the batteries for them using their, i.e., GMs and Ford's basically intellectual pack, yeah, property. Yeah, so it was the pack design and everything they outsourced. Correct. But the, the actual chemistry, that's interesting. Yeah. And, and Swami, i got to believe that a, 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 one of the toughest parts of your job is saying, no, we're not going to go down that route. We're not going to go invest in that technology because so much has got to be flying at you. And with all the startups that are coming into the business, all the new things that are opening up, i got to believe one of the toughest parts of your job is figuring out do we get involved in this or not? Yeah, for sure. And, and I have a phenomenal team. They, we all come together in the domains and technical expertise together. But uh, definitely that's one of the toughest but very interesting part of the job too, <laughs> right? You get to see so much that's happening. Uh, sometimes it's outside the industry. We, we found some uh, really interesting uh, ideas and concepts from medical industry where robotics was being used to do surgery. And we looked at it and said, if it can have so much dexterity, why cannot I use this for end-of-arm tooling in some of the manufacturing concepts? So you're right. It's very broad, very wide, and I hope I make uh, you know, enough decisions that win. I'm definitely making some that, you know, <laughs> uh, that we're either missing or we have to well, take like on. Well, like I said before, if, if you're not straining, you know, exactly. you're never going to move forward. Yep. Really move the needle. Look, we, we, we've run out of time for this segment, but Swami Kotagiri, thanks so much for coming on. Very interesting what you're doing at Magna, and we really enjoy having you share some of your insights with us. Thanks, John. Always a pleasure. Very good. We're going to take a quick break, give a shout-out to our good friends at Bridgestone. Okay, we're back. Very interesting what they're doing at, mm -hmm. at Magna. And, boy... It is, because a few years ago, they didn't really have much of a technology story at Magna. They were, you know, supplying interiors. They've always done some cool stuff, but, they, you know, Delphi was more the high-tech player than, than they were, and, you know, some of the companies in, in, uh, in Germany. But they're, they're doing some, some interesting stuff over there now. Yeah, what's interesting is... Okay, so he, he mentioned just quickly Max 4. Okay, so this is, they've developed this platform that's cameras, LiDAR, ultrasonic sensors, and a controller that would be basically level 4 
a drop-in that yeah. automakers could use. Okay, so they've got that. And remember we had the MDX in here and we talked about the materials in the hot stamped door ring. Magna. So oh, I mean it's yeah, good point. So so I mean so it's all the way from from you know metal bending. Metal bending to you know the most advanced yeah, level four. Out there. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is gonna be interesting though, because you have Magna developing autonomous technology. You have Delphi doing it, all the car companies. Waymo. Are. Waymo, Apple. As this stuff starts to, you know, really get on the road, people will be getting better at the algorithms, at the software that controls it. And how much of a, a lead can anyone establish there before, if, if there's a safe or the government says, hang on, you got to share because we got to have the safest stuff on the road for everybody? It, it's a great question. And, uh, you know, that's why I, I wanted to ask him, make or buy? Where's this all going? And uh, I thought his answer was I mean, pretty good. It's sort of a standardized thing, right, right, where you have to be able to... Well, I, I think there's going to be huge market advantage for whoever comes out with a truly good level four car that has got widespread geofence posts. I think there'll be a massive advantage for who's ever first with that. Well, but in, in the, and the other part that we have to not lose sight of is the fact that automakers are going to have to rely on reliable suppliers to be able to build this stuff in volume. I mean, someone may be able to come up with something, but, you know, making it is entirely a different different story. And, uh, and I think that is where perhaps traditional suppliers that have kept up with the technology are going to be at a, at a certain advantage versus, you know, this whole notion of, ah, Detroit can't do anything, those suppliers, you know, that they're, they're just tin benders. And, Taking that stuff and putting it into a car and making it interact with the mechanical car or the electric cars, we get there, is not, that's becoming more difficult than everybody thought. I mean, look, at, at a certain point, Waymo said, we're not going to build the car. Mm-hmm. We're going to build this for the car. And I think Apple has, has said that, too, or, or yeah. in fact, it similar, was easy, although they've been much more murky about where they're going with right. this. But, you know, I, I think... They've realized out in Silicon Valley, you know, they're good at writing code, at managing data, at coming up with software systems. You know, they're not, you know, do they have great knowledge of supply chain and that sort of thing? I mean, you know, I, I remember when Apple, you know, when the whole thing broke that, that they were working on this. Everyone said, oh, they're going to make a car and it's going to have this iPhone-type design. And I, and, I, and I said, I don't know about that. I, you know, they don't even build their own phones. You know, <laughs> they really want to yeah. build their own cars. Right. But... You know, that's a, your point, make or buy. You know, you may have a handful of companies who are really making the algorithm software and, and, and the brains and everybody else buying that and integrating it into vehicles. Right. And look, maybe GM's one of those. Maybe uh, Daimler is one of those who, right. who makes their own. We'll, we'll, we'll see. So yesterday, actually, a um, Apple autonomous system was, was captured in the wild. A guy has a... Uh, took a 10-second video of um, this system that has six LIDARs on the roof. And, and this thing looks Apple-like. I mean, it looks, you know, it's got that Apple design. It's sort of got this this Stormtrooper white plastic look. Oh, Waymo's test car was kind of Apple-like, the, the yeah. white pods they had going yeah. around. And, uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, they're still working on something at Project Titan, so it hasn't mm-hmm. gone away entirely. Oh no! It's. I think it's. Yeah. I, I, it's. Its death was prematurely announced. They're. They're definitely working. Oh yeah, they haven't given up. No. Okay. Too look, much money. This is. This is the part of the show where we turn to Doctor Data to befuddle and amuse us. Okay. This. This one's going to be tough. Okay. So Carmen, could you please bring up the first slide? Okay. So it's thirty-three percent of teens and twenty-seven percent of parents think something. So John, you're you're busy looking at that picture. Ooh, I know you're, but, but yeah. you're, you're not going to figure this one no, out. No, I'm not. So what would thirty-three percent of teens and twenty-seven percent of parents agree on? And it does have to do with the auto industry. Well, this is difficult because thirty you know, with a six percent variance there which could almost be margin of error. So basically they both agree. They agree, yeah. They what, agree. So what do teens and parents actually agree <laughs> What do they agree on? Uh, it, is, it, is, it is shocking. Let me tell you when you see what this is. Boy, I have no clue. I, I, I can't even hazard a guess. Well, be, and I'm going to guess this only because you're saying it's shocking that they would agree on this, that teens are bad drivers or unsafe drivers. Mm, no. Okay. Carmen, bring up the solution. 
they think it's legal to drive on weed. Oh, what? I did see a story about this earlier in the week. Yeah, it's, so the, the National Institute on Drug Abuse did a survey, and this is what they think. They think it's okay. It's, it's legal. And so I, I, was, I was wondering, and I looked... And well, you know, that's actually interesting, because if you... I could see where they would say that. Not that they're stupid and think, oh, yeah, you, you can drive high, right? But is there a law... I mean, we know, you know, if you have, what is it, 0.7% alcohol in your blood, you're drunk, you're going to go to jail, you're going to get arrested. But is there anything that spe- specifies, if you're high on weed that it's illegal to drive. I could see where they'd say that. No, well, here's the... I, I always... I never really put much thought into this, frankly, but I always thought that it was illegal, but I've never heard of someone getting pulled over and taking a blood test, a urine test, or any kind of test that... that to figure out if they... If they, just, smoking they, just, they, they just measure your Cheetos intake, and, they, and they're able to calculate it that way. <laughs> they look how many empty snack bags. Yeah, that's right. exactly... But so, so I looked in 29 <laughs> states have broadly legalized marijuana. So think about that. So, so there's, there's growing... Growing weed. Growing right. weed. <laughs> right, right, right. But I still think it's illegal to drive when you're high. It, it is. is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's what it said on there, that it's illegal. Okay. Yeah. But so here we have... Test- so here we have moms, dads, and kids all believe... To, to your point of... Well, no, a third six, of them believe. Six, but- six percent of... Uh, <laughs> I mean, they, they, they are at, at one... With margin of error, so yeah, I thought that was pretty fascinating. I, I'm blown away by it. Actually, blown away. Yeah, <laughs> right. Boy, the puns can go on all day, all day yeah. long. Okay, Gary. One of the things you wanted to talk about was Volvo had this performance brand called Polestar, and now they're sort of rebranding it as a as an electric or electrified brand and yes. making it a standalone standalone company. standalone company um they introduced the polestar one a two-door two, two plus two um grand tourer coupe with an electric hybrid a hybrid hybrid um performance a two vehicle. plus two volvo polestar polestar one back here's the picture of it and uh, right so it, its output mm-hmm. is 600 horsepower and 1000 newton meters of torque Carbon, carbon fiber body. They're using uh, Volvo's uh, scalable platform architecture, which underpins lots of stuff that they're doing now. The XC90, the XC60, the S90. And they only sell it as, as an electric car, right? No, 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 this, this one's a hybrid. hybrid. And, and so the, the next one. So, so the, yeah, so then they're going to, uh, um, the, the next one, the Polestar 2 will be a full battery electric vehicle. Um, which will go after the Tesla Model 3, and then they'll come out with a larger SUV-style battery electric vehicle, the Polestar 3. But what's interesting is all ordering will be done online, and what they're doing is that basically you're not buying it, you're buying a subscription to this. So you'll have like a two- or three-year subscription, and so they'll be able to swap out for something else. I wonder if you can... You're now, buying. that might work in China, maybe even Sweden. Well, I, I'm not sure you can get around the franchise. I was going to say, you're, you're, well, you're okay, buying an end run around the dealer. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and, and um, so they're, they're even, uh, there's a, uh, a purpose-built Polestar production center being pr- built in Chengdu, China. So, I mean, these guys are, are mm. really focused on that. But, uh, but I mean, it's, you know. So this is like the cat- book by Cadillac exactly. subscription model where you can get, you know, Whatever's in the lineup. Yeah, whatever they've got. And now Porsche has talked about it. Yeah, well, and then that, that company, Link & Co., right. which is also owned by Geely, which owns Volvo, which then, of course, owns Polestar, has said that its vehicles will not be purchased vehicles. They will also be subscription-based models, and people will be able to swap it out. So, yeah, I mean, this, this you know, so you got the book by Cadillac, that thing that uh, Porsche announced a couple weeks ago. And apparently, and, book by Cadillac's voice, like, Fully subscribed for the number of vehicles that they have in the in their fleet, it's, it's working. It's, it's maxed out. Yeah, but they're only doing it in it's New York, really right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a it, pilot program. I want to say it's two thousand a month. I thought Porsche is talking about three thousand a month. I thought it was one thousand a month. I thought it was oh, two for Cadillac. Well, maybe I got that wrong. Maybe it's a thousand. But think a month about that. that that's that's a, you know, there's nothing that they sell that you would lease for a thousand a month. 
I mean, you know, even the even the fully loaded CT6 that goes for like ninety-one thousand dollars is not going to cost you a thousand a month on a lease. Correct. And, the, and then so the thing, you're you're paying for the versatility and having a new car all the time. Yeah, you swap out what whatever vehicle you want to get on a, on a regular I think about basis. It, you, you always have a new car, right? Right. Because it's if you lease a three a three-year-old CT6 after two and a half years, you have a two and a half-year-old car. But with this, you know, with these programs, you're always. I hadn't in thought a brand about new that. Car. All right. All right. So here's it's fifteen. So you split the difference. It's fifteen hundred dollars a month. Yeah, okay, right. maybe Porsches. <laughs> so uh, Porsche starts at two thousand a month, but to get every, to get access to every passport vehicle, their thing is being called passport. Members have to spring for the premium version that costs three thousand dollars a month. Um, so for fifteen hundred for Cadillac, you get access to platinum trim models like the Escalade and CT6. And you get V-series cars as well thrown in there. I do wonder how long they keep them in the fleet. Because, I mean, the, the cars wouldn't be brand new necessarily, right? It might be like, you know, a few thousand miles on them. Or depending on how long, they, if they keep them in the fleet for 30,000 miles, then the cars aren't brand new, but they're relatively new. Sure. And that's what I would expect them. To, I mean, that's what the daily rentals do. It's, right. That's kind of the 30, model. 30,000 and, put, yeah, pull it. But it's sort of interesting. I mean, it's it's almost like... Maybe leasing has run out of gas, and they're trying to find another way of getting that revenue. Well, I think that the the theory here is that ride sharing, not ride hailing, mind you, Uber and Lyft are ride hailing. That's basically you know a cab, except you don't want a, a smelly old yellow car with a guy with a medallion. You you want you know a, a, a smelly different kind of car. With no medallion. Um, with a guy with no medallion. That's right. <laughs> but so, it's cheaper. <laughs> um, but you mean but car sharing? Yeah, they're, they're, it's their way of battling car sharing because they're offering you different kinds of rides. If you're, if you're going on a weekend road trip, you get the Escalade because you need the space. If it's just you, know, you and the wife taking off on a weekend road trip, you just want a nice car because you don't have the kids and the dog and everything like that, you know, and that sort of thing. Or you're going on a beach trip and you just want to convert. You can get whatever you want. And... Because that's what some of these new services do. You go on and you can get, you know, you, you can get a car, get a Ferrari if someone will put their car in this car, their Ferrari in a car sharing fleet. Um, that's the kind of thing that they're they're banking on people really want. Um, I think where this gets into trouble is there's already an app out there where, John, you can put your Citroën in there if you wanted to. I can put my Mini in there. And it's it's totally ecumenical there's you know you can go and get any car you want so if someone else does this say let's say hertz with their you know what is it that hertz platinum or whatever they're you know they're they're hertz gold they're high-end program where you can rent cars what if they decide to offer a subscription like this then i don't have to just choose what cadillac has or just choose what porsche has i can get anything from anybody and, and why wouldn't I want that? Maybe I want a 5 Series this weekend, and I want a, you know, Panamera next weekend, and during the week I just want a CTS. Or maybe during the week you use that smelly guy who you've called up on your phone. Yeah. Yeah, so you can afford the Panamera next week. Well, I mean, the thing that I wonder about is, I mean, so, so look, you know, the book by Cadillac being in New York, okay, so, I mean, maybe people don't want cars during the week because they'd have to park them, Right. And, and you'd have all the costs associated with that. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you could only have the car, That's whatever car? 1500 months a lot of money just for renting a car every weekend. For some <laughs> people, it's nothing. <laughs> And that's who they're getting to pay this kind of money. This is why Porsche is going to be able to charge $2,000. For some people, that's nothing. No, oh, I know, but mm-hmm. it's... For the rest of us, no. And that's why I'm intrigued by what Maven's doing. Here's another car-sharing model where GM is now taking off-lease cars and putting them into Maven. Mm-hmm. Because this industry's choking on off-lease cars now, and it's only going to get worse. David, yeah. you guys have reported about this a lot. Yeah, they're just they're trying to make revenue off of the car. While particularly now the used car market is is still pretty soft, so you go back, you lose money on it. Um, it it's made leasing, it's making leasing, and will for you know until the squad of off lease cars thins out. I mean, you got this pig in the python um, rolling through over the next couple of years. So rather than dump that car off in the used car market and lose money, they put that day of reckoning off, and they make revenue on it in the meantime. In fact, I had this in one of my stories. Maven said that you know they 
because of that, it is a net profitable venture for GM. If you consider what they aren't losing by taking all these cars, particularly the passenger cars that come off lease, because that's the that's a really soft market right now. So well, Malibus and cruises and things like correct. that. Even Camaros. I mean, they you know, got rid of a, a shift there. I'm sure those are probably doing poorly in the used car market too. Mm-hmm. Hey, we've got uh, uh, different questions. We've even got a phone call that's uh, that's waiting to get in on this. Uh, but first, we got to take another break and give a shout out to our friends at Hyundai. Okay, let's see. Uh, Wright Knight's written back yet again. He wants to know, why is GM Cadillac taking so long with their turbo 32-valve V8s? I don't know anything about it. I don't know. I'm the finance guy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, our work wrote in, kind of too bad Magna was not the successful bidder for Chrysler back when. Yeah, remember, Magna came that close to buying Chrysler. How about Magna building the Model 3? Hmm. It'd probably get built. <laughs> or how about Maybe Toyota taking... built just in small numbers. Uh, right. <laughs> or how about Toyota taking back the Fremont plant, as they seem to be the ones that solved the bad labor problems GM had there. That is, to take it back and manage building the Model 3. Well, that, we know that's not going to happen. Right. But interesting. I think Toyota will buy Tesla before that happens. Okay, and we got uh, this phone call here. So, Carmen, let's bring that in. Uh, this is Clem Zorowski at Delmont, Pennsylvania. My question is, has your company had any conversations with auto, automobile insurance companies about getting a discount for having these uh, safety features on their car? I remember years ago I, I got a discount on my auto insurance because it had, the car had anti-lock brakes. Thank you. Yeah. Good question. Obviously, that was for Swami, although typically suppliers don't get involved in those kinds of conversations. Right. Right. I think you just get lower rates if you've got a newer car that has a lot of the safety features on it. I right? think it depends on the insurance provider. I, I know Allstate, for example, has been one that's been pretty progressive about doing that, to name another insurance mm-hmm. company. But, uh, yeah, you've got to talk to your insurance company. But in, in some cases, especially with this... Uh, forward collision warning with full brake. You should be able to get something like, I want to say, like a 10% discount. Yeah, I seem seem to recall the last time we got insurance that there were, like, check boxes for various technologies, if you had them or not, and, you know, you'd get a discount as a result of that. But, I mean, isn't it like Liberty Mutual that is is, uh, has has a dongle that you plug into the CAN bus? So the OBD2 port, yeah. Yeah, right. uh, They monitor how you drive. Yeah. And, and, and say, as much as you drive and, yeah, and, and uh, you drive like grandma or grandpa, they, they give you their blessing. And if yeah. not, your rates go up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who's going to volunteer for that? Also, people grandma do. And grandpa. Yeah. Yeah. People do. Yeah. They're waiting okay. for that check to come from the insurance company rather than the other way around. Right. I don't think anybody in this room is going to volunteer for that program. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Hell no. We couldn't get out of the parking lot without breaking the law. Yeah. <laughs> your policy. Okay, Gary, what else have you got on your list? Um, I, th- I thought it was sort of, you know, this is uh, Schroedenfraud, I guess. Um, so yesterday, the Ford F-Series was awarded the Truck of Texas. So this has been awarded 24 times. F-Series has gotten it 14 of the 24 times. And yesterday, they also announced that there was a 1.3 million F-Series recall for uh, vehicles that were built uh, that, that's the door latch and, thing? Yeah, the door latch Because the door latch didn't have a, a water guard or a splash right. guard, right? Mm-hmm. I thought the door was coming open. Well, it won't, it, it, it won't shut necessarily. So it won't open or but it, it won't close. But it needs to shut. It does. One, one, would, like to, one would like to think. It's, it's usually a feature of cars that they have you know, doors that shut. Probably the cause of this, this water guard or splash guard, is a little piece of flat, clear plastic... And probably about a million point three vehicles later, somebody went, hey, 
what are all these uh, splash guards doing in the back room in the boxes? So you think they were there, they just weren't installed? I don't know, but, I, you know, uh, this is probably something that came in from a supplier. Blame the supplier. I'll blame the supplier. Now that Swami's gone, you're blaming the right. supplier. But, jeez, I don't know. Yeah, that's kind of ironic. Hey, I, there's no excuses on this one. Overland stagecoaches had door latches that latched, <laughs> stayed closed. <laughs> right. <laughs> They've been at this for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what else? So, so Daimler, you, you might have some insights on this. Um, Daimler talking about dividing um, Mercedes-Benz cars and vans and then Daimler trucks and buses and then a financial services business. So you'd have three, yeah, three standalone businesses. They, they've, yeah, they've talked about basically not splitting up the company as in spinning anything out, but just organizing it internally so that they can do this. And, and look, what I think, you've seen General Motors stock go up quite a bit in the past couple of months or, or so. And a lot of those, a lot of that has happened because, you know, they have a pretty good technology story, right? They showed off an electric car strategy. They have been mass producing autonomous bolts or starting that, that process. And, and that says that they're, you know, they're in the game, you know, arguably at the front of the pack in, in both of those competitions, right? So that's helped the stock. But the other thing is the sum of the parts theory that, you know, GM is ahead so you can spin out their mobility business, which doesn't exist yet. Um, you could spin out Cadillac was what one of the analysts said in the same way that Fiat Chrysler has spun out Ferrari. You could spin out GM Financial. So what Daimler has done is they've essentially, it looks like, siloed groups of their businesses that if they wanted to, if it ever made sense, they could spin out. And look, really, the, the real impetus was, you know, Fiat Chrysler, you know, most people thought it was you know, one of the smaller, weaker car companies in the world. But you spin out Ferrari. There's, they've been trying to sell their parts division, Magneti Morelli, unsuccessfully. But they, they're now working on spinning that out. They've talked about you know, maybe spinning out Jeep, or at least it's been speculated. And, and a lot of that is you know, this, some of the parts, you, know, you spin out Jeep. And Jeep actually probably would be worth a ton of money separate of this company. Yeah. You've got to find a buyer for the rump. I, what, what I think but. Mercedes is doing is taking a page out of Volkswagen's playbook because Audi is a standalone company whose major shareholder is the Volkswagen AG group. But you, me and I, we can all go out and buy stock in Audi. You can buy stock in Porsche, too. It's a standalone legal entity whose major shareholder, and I mean major, like 97% of the stock is owned by Volkswagen AG. But I think it possibly allows investors to say, you know, I'm not interested in vans and trucks uh, or uh, trucks and buses. I don't care about that. But this Mercedes car thing, I think that, or maybe, so it allows you as an investor to go into specific parts of the company. If they're going to give you access to a security that represents just that business. And that's what I mean by a spin out. Uh, You know, when Ferrari was first spun out, FCA still owned a chunk of shares and eventually they they sold it all off and now it's totally independent. But that's often how these go. You know, there's been talk about... uh, Tata Motors spinning Jag Land Rover out for some... It's never happened, but there was, you know... I don't know if it was investor pressure, but there was speculation that they could do that. And one of the reasons why, for a while, Tata Motors, the the Tata brand was losing money. And if you just took Jag Land Rover's profit and multiply it by a typical earnings multiple that car companies traded, it was worth more than the entire Tata Jag Land Rover empire altogether, which meant that Tata had negative value and... And so if you had sold Jag Land Rover separately, you'd get more value. That's the sort of theory with Jeep. And that's why, to your point, you get, by kind of siloing these things, you could at some point give investors a crack at investing in just that kind of business. And you, and you really dime where you think about it. You know, a big part of the business is commercial trucks, which is a very different business from selling retail cars. Very different. Totally different. Hey, we got another phone call here in from New York. Carmen, let's bring that in. Hi, Dick Lembitz calling again from York, Pennsylvania. What do you think? Is Chevrolet going to take advantage of Ford's problem with the recall of all those police cruisers? Yeah. Good oh, question. that was that was the that was uh, York, not New York. Yeah, the the uh, the emissions, um, the um, yeah, the, there was exhaust uh, leaking into the cabins of uh, police cruisers, Ford Explorers. Uh, real problem. 
Uh, Look, Ford's going to fix these things, presumably. It's blaming the upfitters who have drilled holes through the body, and that's letting exhaust leak in. That's what Ford's claiming, at least. But these police departments have bought these things. Now, if I were Chevy and trying to get somebody to buy something new, not just fix what they got, you bet I'd say, boy, you don't want to buy those Fords. You're going to poison your, the, the cops on the force. Yeah, so, but, but so what, Ed Pieper runs the fleet business, and he's, an, very, he's, he's a very nice guy. <laughs> he's, uh, Chevy he's is going to throw I, grenades. I think they still have uh, Tahoe. Uh, okay. They did. I don't know if they still do. Do they and, not sell Impel police cars? There are a lot of front drive. Well, Caprices and Caprices are still there. You know, oh, they, they're importing Caprice. them from Australia, right? But now they're still that doing Hol- that. Well, it's just stopped. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Holden no longer builds cars. They the last one just rolled off the line. So uh, I didn't even know they were still bringing. Well, they had the SS coming up here for a while, so maybe they were still. Yeah, no, no, they, cop cars they, until recently. This year, they have been selling Caprice police cars. And I believe they still have Tahoes as well. The Impala's big enough, and I've seen front-drive police cars. Uh, they really want the rear-drive yeah. body-on-frame cars, though. Hey, one last topic I wanted to get into. Uh, we've been talking about all this autonomy stuff. Cruise automation is making, I think, stupendous progress. There's some uh, pretty good stuff of uh, uh, Chevy Bolt autonomous cars. Uh, there's a I don't know how to say the guy's name. David, maybe you know this, who runs uh, Cruise Automation. Oh, Kyle Vogt. Kyle Vogt? Is yeah. that how you say it? Pretty sure, yeah. I, I've, I've never seen uh, or heard anybody pronounce the name. But, uh, no, the, he put out a couple of clips where uh, they've got a bolt going through uh, San Francisco, and it comes to this uh, set, six-way intersection, and it's all flashing red lights around the intersection, and there's pedestrians, and there's food carts, and there's cars, and this thing gets right through it, no problem. I mean, it doesn't just sail through. It's stopping, moving over, letting stuff go, like a, like a person would. Then there's another example of uh, it comes up to a construction site. There's a construction worker standing in the street with a reflective vest and a hard hat, and he holds out his hand, and the car comes to a stop. Then he looks both ways to see traffic is clear. He beckons the car to come towards him, and it starts going. And then he, you know, motions it off to the right, and the car does this whole thing just reading the hand signals of this construction worker. Pretty good stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. He, he Voight has been uh, sort of trash-talking Waymo, saying, you know, we have our cars in San Francisco. You guys are in Chandler, Arizona. There's like nothing in Chandler, Arizona, but you know we're in the we're in the midst of things. With it's, it's a mighty fine sight to see. <laughs> and, and, and that too. Well, in fact, what what Kyle said is one minute of testing in San Francisco was worth an hour in Chandler mm-hmm. because of all the crazy stuff. Well, now they're testing in New York, which and is now they're going to New York. Congested and and people running and you know out in crosswalks in front of you and and you know. Look, I lived there for a while. One of the most dangerous things when you're walking the streets in New York are the bicycle messengers. Those guys just haul through everything. I mean, I've almost been run over by them half a dozen times. And, and look, that makes for a challenging environment for self-driving cars. GM sort of, you know, quietly sneaked up on everybody and, and you know, has really gotten arguably a leadership position, although, look, very difficult in this kind of game because... Toyota never talks about this. You can't tell me they don't have some good self-driving technology. Well, they do. They were doing self-parking Priuses and Lexuses, what, 15 years yeah, ago? Yeah, I never could like get that? the Lexus system to work. I thought the Ford system was way but better. But you know what I mean. They've been working, They've on, been working on, on this on, stuff no, for a long right. time. And, and just in the last couple of weeks, uh, Toyota has shown videos of, of what they're at. But they're playing catch-up. I mean, only two years ago, two and a half years ago, Toyota was poo-pooing the idea of autonomous cars. And then Akio got religion, and they're spending big time. That's why they've put in this whole big artificial intelligence uh, push in the United States at MIT, University of oh, yeah. Michigan. No, all, all I'm saying is it's, it's always tough to say who's really out in front in it something is. like this, because we only see what they've what decided they show to show right. us. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, GM... You know, they, they bought Cruise Automation uh, a year ago, or uh, not even, and they sort of got took some shots for possibly overpaying, and, and here they are with a system that's being mass-produced and driving cars around in a number of cities that drive themselves, and it, it really put them 
in the game uh, in a very big way. Okay, we got a couple of more questions that are coming in because we're getting to the end here. Uh, Mark K wants to know, do you think China will buy Chrysler and use it to bring Chinese cars to the USA? I, I was talking to uh, Larry Veliket, who covers FCA for Automotive News just this earlier this week. And, uh, you know, he said that there's been, I mean, one of the reasons why FCA stock price is so high is because there had been some rumors, dis discussions of this thing, but it, it doesn't seem to be coming through. So the question is who and why? Yeah. Well, look, and how? Because Great Wall had this thing where the CEO said to Automotive News she'd like to buy a Jeep, or uh, they don't have the money. And, and only the very biggest Chinese companies would even be able to raise the money, because Fiat Chrysler's worth a lot of money right now. So they have to have the cash to do it, or the Agnelli family has to be willing to take stock in this merged entity of, say, Geely Fiat Chrysler or whatever it would be to get that done. And you know, this is a really big deal for one of these companies. Just the financials have it very big to pull off. And, mm -hmm. and, and that's why they, look, they were pushing GM hard because they knew the Fords would never delete their stockholding with a big merger like that. You know, the Ford family wouldn't. There's no GM family. So GM had a lot of cash. GM has valuable stock, and they could merge the company. And the Annie Ellis, instead of owning 25 30% of FCA, would own, you know, whatever it is, 10 12% of GM FCA. So they're still in the game. They still have a big stake, but they get cashed out with a lot of money. And FCA is in the hands of somebody who has electric drive technology, autonomous technology, all the stuff Fiat Chrysler isn't really working on. So they've taken their company. They've put it in good hands. You know, so, so the driving factors you have to look at are what makes industrial sense, uh, who has the cash stock value to actually do it? Who has the technology that you know, makes sense for this whole thing to happen? And and they always are very worried about the appearance that they're taking this Italian icon and hiving it off to somebody else just to make some money. I mean, yeah, they'll be rich and nobody can bother them in Italy, but they really don't want to be Italian robber barons. They, they have their reputation to uphold. Yeah, and and they're they're and look. Politics in Italy is not like politics in the U.S. Uh, there, there are steeper consequences for making everybody angry than just being flamed on social media in some of these other places. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got one last question, and I think this is a good way to wrap up today's show. But, And I'm probably going to butcher the name. It's either Levant or Levante. says, I'm looking for another car for me to drive to high school. I was looking into a 2017 Kia Optima SX Turbo. My parents are buying it. What do you guys think about the car? The Optima's a nice car. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know what else he's looking at. I, I, I tend to, when people ask me if they, they should buy something. Well, so first of all, usually when somebody says, what do you think of the Optima? Well, what they mean is, is there any reason on earth why I shouldn't buy this car that I'm already dead set on mm -hmm. buying? Yeah. Um, so the, the answer to that is no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised it isn't, uh, you know, what do you think about the Civic? I mean, it's just if he's going to high school. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, number one, I think the Optima is a good car. You're getting the turbo. It's got some performance to it. It's the SX. It's the sport model. Mm -hmm. Really. So all that's good. Um, it's a car that really hasn't sold well. You might even look at getting a good used one, like getting a certified pre-owned version of it and, and save Does about. Can you do that? Do they have certified pre-owned? I think everybody has a CPO program, right? I don't know. But, uh, but in any case, if you buy a brand new one, I number one, I wouldn't buy it. I would lease it because it's going to drop in value. It's a great car, but passenger cars are All not selling well. You're going to yeah. lose your butt on this thing. Although I, I, he could get a great deal. He could get a great deal. I mean, he could go into the dealership with a new one, and it'd be like I know. make that that used car look like uh, it's overpriced. Possibly, possibly. You'd have to go and look at uh, what's going on. And, uh, uh, oh, his, his previous, <laughs> thank you, Levant or Levante. Uh, I owned a, a 2011 Saab 95 Aero. So. 2011? Did they make? Yeah, 95 Aeros. In 2011? Uh, oh. Saab? 
You know, that's a good question. Because GM, when, bank, when, Actually, when GM dumped Saab, that was in the bankruptcy well, before. Well, no, the but they were, remember, they were trying to sell Saab. In fact, I think they did eventually sell some of the assets. Victor Mueller was running the company then, no? At that point? Was, I think. And remember, somebody was trying to buy it. It was like Stryker the or somebody side. like this. Yeah, it was still it, a good-looking car. It was, it was Victor it Mueller who was the Stryker yes, guy. that's right. And, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. he was trying to sell So I, I guess there was a 20... I didn't think they made him into 2011. Like yeah. Right now, whenever I see a, a Pontiac, I think, boy, that car's already old. It doesn't look it, but it's already really old. And I see an Oldsmobile on there, and you see a lot of Oldsmobiles around here. It's like, oh, boy, that, that's putting years on it. Then you think about it, it's a 20-year-old car. <laughs> but, yeah, they were making well, sobs until it, not it, that long ago. And, and the opt- one thing about the Optima, it surprises me every time I get in one, is how big that car is. I mean, it, it, doesn't, yeah. it, it, it doesn't seem like a mid-sized car. It doesn't seem like a Malibu or a Fusion. It seems full I size. Mean, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good-looking car. You know, you might have a good point that he should be able to get a killer deal on it. But I'm telling you, they can't He's give those cars like away. Five thousand dollar rebate. We, I mean, someone could probably look it up while we're sitting here. But there've got to be some big rebates. There's got to be some rebates. I, I would check out and I see. Mean, every if, uh, car plant in the U.S. just about they've been cutting shifts, slowing line speeds because mm-hmm. people yeah. just. And they got to make room for those stingers to uh, come onto the lot. So. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I, I hate driving SUVs, even the new crossovers that are that are more nimble. I, I, so I'm a passenger car guy, so when I go to buy something, I'm going to get a nice deal. Yeah. Then I'll just get killed on the back end when I go to trade it in. But <laughs> that's the market. Okay, let's wrap it up. Right. David Welch, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Great Always thanks, great guys. to have you here. And Gary, let's do it again next week. Okay, let's do that. Okay, and of course, want to thank all of you for having tuned in. Auto Line After Hours is brought to you by... Bridgestone Tires, your journey, our passion. Lear, a global leader in automotive seating and electrical systems. And by Hyundai, better drives us. Visit our website, Autoline.tv, where you can watch us live Thursday afternoons. Get your daily fix with Autoline Daily and in-depth analysis and interviews with Autoline This Week. There's all that and much more at Autoline.tv. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.